You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Tanner Woodford from the Design Museum of Chicago. To listen to the full interview or hear more about the Creative Process projects, please visit www.creativeprocess.info. The definition of design that I've always lived by is that design is the manipulation of form and content within context. And when you really think about that, all of those words can be, all in the sentence can be defined very differently. So manipulation, um, content, and form. A form could be, as you're saying, a virus, right? Um, and then the content of the virus would be the sort of the symptoms that you feel, the, the way that it ravages your body. Um, the context is, is very important in this case because the context is everything else that surrounds sort of this design decision. And um, to pull it back to, let's say, um, a sneaker, for example, you could think about design in terms of a sneaker. You have the manipulation of form and content within context. So in this case, the form of the sneaker might be its shape, the colors you choose, the content might be the textile, the fabric, all of that. Your foot maybe is part of the content. And the context is everything else. So did the delivery person have a bad day when they dropped, when they dropped it off and did they drop your box and it scuffed, scuffed the shoe or something like that, that context changes the design of the, of the, the object. Um, I, all of this is framed within for me, manipulation design is the manipulation of forming content within context and designers are the manipulators. We're the ones that are making decisions. We're the ones that are thinking about the context. We're the ones that are altering the form and the manipulation for me is really interesting because it, it, at that point, when you're in that part, Part of the process and when you're really thinking about sort of the, the overall design of an object or a story or a, um, a city, um, it's really important to think about ma- making decisions that make life better. About fun, like design for me has the capacity to be the fundamental improvement of the human condition, just like it can be sort of, it can fundamentally destroy the human condition, it can fundamentally make life worse. worse. Um, I believe as an optimist that designers in whole are making decisions to make make people's lives better. And that's sort of been my guiding principle and the guiding principle of the, of the museum. On kind of an aesthetic level, of course, there's all kinds of good design that we can talk about from, you know, Nike shoes to um, t-shirts to um, even, even the Chicago grid, the grid of our city was designed by Daniel Burnham to sort of um, to make navigation through our city easier about a hundred years ago. And, um, and it's, it's worked remarkably. I think that there are changes we're making and, and edits that need to be made to, to, as we're learning things um, in the future. I didn't plan to become a muralist. It just sort of happened. And my work has evolved a lot over the years. And this is something I found that I'm really uh, proud of and settled on. Um, I started making murals actually when my daughter was born. Um, just months after she was born, I had all of this uh, creative energy um, and just got really inspired to uh, to start making. So the first mural I made was over in Gary, Indiana. Um, are you familiar with Gary? Tell, tell us about it and how did this come about? So um, there's this amazing uh, person living in Gary who really just wanted to improve her community. Gary, if you're unfamiliar, was a steel town and it was full of life. And then um, as things developed, uh, everybody moved out and now it's a ghost town just to oversimplify the story a little bit too much. um, So I was invited to come and paint a mural on the side of an expressway. Um, Their goal is to create something like 80 pieces and 
the city is full of um, uh, vacant houses and storefronts, and it's just sort of in ruins. And I don't say that to talk down about them because it's a really, it's an amazing community. And they welcomed me with open arms as I was painting. They were driving past and honking. Somebody literally stopped and yelled, thanks for making Gary better. It was the sweetest experience. So I had this idea to create this mural that says things take a long time and to stretch the typography and make it feel slow and long and like it was evolving in some way. Um, I chose a site that was very public. It's the exit off the expressway if you're coming into town. And um, I also, also chose a site that was not prepared. So they took all kinds of uh, time to paint white walls, to remove old paint, to make beautiful canvases for a whole lot of artists that took advantage of it. But with this phrase, I really wanted to make a mural that would change over time. So I chose a spot where the paint was chipping, where there was oil leak, like leaking down from the trains above, um, and where uh, the sun was just constantly beating on it. And then I chose a color that will um, fade with time and will become, will feel, uh, the longer it takes, the more it'll feel like it's really part of this community. The thing that I love about the location too is it's, it's almost the last thing you see before you enter um, the uh, industrial corridor, the sort of the steel making corridor. And it reminds them that even, at least it reminds me that even if the community is in shambles now, and again, I'm not, I'm not talking down to them, um, that, uh, that things do take a long time and there's this optimistic approach to, to the future. You use the right word, which is meditative. And part of it for me is the content is meditative. And as a viewer standing in front of it, it provides this moment of, uh, of reprise. For me, creating the mural is that. Being in a space by myself for 15 or 20 hours and sort of really focusing on, you know, being six inches from, from the wall and really focusing on um, executing highly and then to take a step back and observe it as I'm completely exhausted and wiped out. There's just this, this amazing feeling uh, uh, where I feel uh, sort of grateful for the opportunity. I feel proud of the work. Um, and then I can sit and meditate again on sort of that, that effort. Um, I am inspired by working. I'm inspired by producing. Uh, I don't often get the opportunity to work alone. Everything I do at the design museum is highly collaborative. And this is a contrast to that as well, where it's a moment of, it almost feels selfish if I'm being entirely honest, even though it's, I'm not creating something for myself, taking that time, even just away from not, I don't, again, don't mean this for this to sound bad, but getting away from my family for a little bit, getting away from my colleagues for a little bit, and really just kind of having a moment to reflect and create something is one of the best feelings. So yeah, there are two contexts in which I, I teach. One is at the School of Artistry of Chicago, and that's with clearly postgraduate, or some postgraduate, some uh, um, graduate, and some undergraduate students. Um, that's a different level than teaching at a Chicago public schools with uh, elementary school kids or high school kids. Um, so starting with the sort of college course, I haven't taught in a couple of years and I, I really do miss it, to be honest with you. Uh, things just got too busy with uh, having a baby and painting all these murals and, and trying to, to, to stabilize the museum. Um, those things have been uh, pretty consuming. So I've stepped back from teaching a little bit. The course that I taught there was called Design Thinking for Social Change. And um, uh, it had a range of students from freshmen to graduate um, and, and everybody in between from multiple departments. And really the idea was to identify a problem. It sounds really simple, 
but identify a problem, brainstorm around it, propose a solution, and then enact that solution. And as you might imagine, we spent a lot of time in the beginning thinking about problems. And generally, uh, when students come to the table, they come with solutions. So they'll say, I want to decrease emissions from cars by 30% in four years. You know, and, and, um, and the response from the class is usually, oh, that's wonderful. That's so great. Um, how are you going to do that? And then you sort of start to see their minds expand a little bit. So my general, my first question is generally, give me a budget. And that's when they realize they've bitten off something that's way too large. Their eyes are bigger than their stomach. So from there, um, we, we, we tend to back down and we think about, okay, if we can't change um, emissions by whatever percent, whatever amount of time, um, can we start to change attitudes? And can we start by changing five attitudes or three attitudes? And how do we get people to, to for example, choose to take a bike or a bus over their car? What incentives do we have? And we really start to boil this down to an achievable problem. And then from there, we can start to do research. We can start to think about who else tried this? What have they learned? Um, what can we go into the into the community and try to, to convince some people, interview them, see what they how they react? And we just sort of follow the process. It was really interesting for me to watch the process. One student was interested in smoking cessation. He wanted everybody to stop smoking. And um, his first idea was, how do I make smoking so unappealing that we'll stop something like 50% of people from, from, uh, from picking up a cigarette in the next month? Um, and we started this really deep conversation and we ended up, I said, you know, so your context is the school of the Art Institute of Chicago. How can we make an impact here? And he went down this path for a long time of a marketing campaign of creating these materials of making it difficult. Again, bad design, in my opinion, making it difficult for you to smoke if you're in a certain place because it's uncomfortable. And at the end of the semester, he came to this realization that he just wanted to stop smoking. He just, it was a very personal thing. He clearly cared about his classmates and his colleagues and the state of the world, but he came back to this idea of, I'm just done smoking. So what he designed was, and it's really brilliant, was a, uh, a cigarette um, box-sized package uh, that he could put in his pocket that had all kinds of things. When he wanted a cigarette, he would grab that instead of grabbing a pack of smokes, and it had a... Um, uh, a booklet that described why smoking was bad. It had a toothpick, so you had that sort of oral fixation. He had gum. He had, I think he had a nicotine, a, a nicotine patch as well in there. And the whole idea was that he had, he always wanted to grab his pack of smokes whenever he wanted to smoke. And when he did that, instead he would have an intervention that would help him stop. Just the idea of really starting with, you know, What's my personal story? What's affected me? For me, it might be anxiety. How do I design a product that, that sort of helps me solve that issue? And then how do I expand that product into other spaces? And to just sort of go through that loose process over the course of a semester at different speeds, letting students make their own observations, being in control of their own stories, and to come up with products that, that are genuine, genuinely helpful for them will usually have a broader appeal. Want to get involved with exhibitions or interviews? Email us at team at creativeprocess.info. Thank you for listening.